0: Uh, the title of my message today is uh, Five Important Cities Amongst a Kingdom People. And uh, I'm in Joshua, uh, I'm gonna be reading, we're finishing up our exegetical series on the book of Joshua, and um, I'll be in 20 and 21 today. But what I wanna do is, I just kinda wanna recap a couple of things. We're at that place where, um, The people of God have come into the land. They, under the commander of the Lord's army, which was like a pre-incarnate Christ, came in and they've defeated the the enemies, so to speak. And uh, they are now in the mopping-up stage of driving out residual strongholds. And we talked about that last week. And if you haven't, um, um, you know, heard that message, you can go online. We have both a video of that service, of the sermon, and there's also a podcast where you can listen to it. Um, And we've been uh, talking you know, about how do you maintain what God has accomplished and finish the mopping up, and there's some principles around that. And I do wanna remind you that last week, we discovered in all of these sort of as they, in chapter 18 and 19, as they were describing the inheritance for the remaining seven tribes that had yet to receive that, as well as those on the uh, on the west side, uh, Judah and uh, Ephraim that had you know Manasseh that received it first uh, in on the east on the west side, excuse me, that um, they failed the comment editorially was they failed to drive out fully those inhabitants, those strongholds that would stand against them and lead them to idolatry. And I just want to highlight that, and in fact, one of the tragedies I didn't highlight it last week is the tribe of Dan is described in Joshua 19. It's the last lot of all the tribes uh, that received a physical inheritance. And um, Judges 1 comments that um, they were given, everything was divided by lot, and theirs was the territory where Tel Aviv and Jaffa is today, along the coast, and there were iron chariots there, and it said they could not actually take possession of their land, and they had to remain in the hill country. And Dan was like the second most populous tribe. And so what they did is they actually migrated out of their assigned territory to a territory in the north um, that God had not assigned by lot to them. And they uh, conquered a city. I think it's named, what was it named there? Um, uh, Let's see, it's verse 47. They went beyond these. Went up and took Leshem and took it. It became the town of Dan. And interestingly, it's the location of Caesarea Philippi. It's also the location of Genesis six, uh, where the sons of men uh, married with the the, um, the, the false and uh, Nimrod. It's a place of evil and it's the gates of hell. If you know the story or you've watched The Chosen, and it's um, what what's tragic about this is Dan became the snare. For all of Israel for idolatry uh, during the time of Jeroboam they erected uh, uh, something there um, and actually it's interesting I'll just read this um, Dan in Genesis 47 when Jacob was giving the blessing or curses uh, to their the, the sons was Dan was pictured as a serpent in the way a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. And this is the picture of Dan leading Israel in idolatry. And interestingly, um, Dan was omitted from the tribes of Israel that are accounted in Revelation as uh, Simeon was scattered in the land of Judah and that was prophesied by Jacob. But it was a serious idolatry that took place there. So I'm just gonna declare again that, Lord, we thank you that the commander of the Lord's army is still present that you are with us to defeat the strongholds that might lead us astray. And Lord, we are zealous to take our inheritance and to stand in the fullness of what you promised us and we refuse to let our eyes be committed to any form of idolatry, to stay in the assignment you've had for us and not run from that in fear and give ourselves to something else that leads us astray. So Lord, we will not compromise we will stand in the inheritance you've assigned, and we thank you for this in the strong name of Jesus. Um, so what I'm going to do today is um, I wanted to recount some of the principles we've learned. I've, I've realized with every message I've given, and this is our 13th or 14th in, in Joshua, so thanks for your patience. We have two more after this. Um, but the, uh, I've given about five or six principles of how to stand in what was, was there. But I wanted to actually read to you, and I just want you to hear this and let it go in your spirit. I did not do slides today. I don't need everybody like taking photos, but I, I, I'll read them slowly. I'll read them a second time. But this is what has happened. These are some of the principles of what we've learned. And I've only picked a few, not all of them, but I... I just picked highlights, basically chapter by chapter. Um, The first was this, the people of God. In fact, this is a characteristic of a Joshua people or a Joshua company. And God spoke to us multiple occasions through three prophetic voices before this church started that we would be a Joshua company of people. Uh, One of those was a gentleman named Paul Cain called out of a crowd by name what is this, a Joshua company that I see arising? And, and that was a word that obviously I took at that point. Um, and it says this, that the principle that we learned is that they have a heart and zeal to trust God and believe his word about a future inheritance and victory in him. Secondly, we learned that God's intended lessons of the desert, of the necessity of worship, intimacy with God, utter dependence, full of faith, leads to success, but unbelief or self-effort leads to failure. This was the lesson of the desert. Thirdly, we've learned they understand the absolute necessity of the presence of God in their midst and following the commander of the Lord's army. And if you remember the presence, the ark went first into the Jordan, where the opposition, the circumstantial opposition was dammed up in a town called Adam, which means man. And so man's efforts are cut off so that through faith with the presence, you enter into your promises. And then they marched the presence around Jericho and the walls fell down flat and they took the city. So we've learned that the presence in their midst creates victory and makes it possible. So Lord, I thank you that we are a people of the presence and that your presence shall bring victory. And again, we release presence to those watching and those here, we also saw that um, there was a de- determination of the people of God to enter the inheritance through faith. The river was still at flood stage when the priest with the ark stepped in. And as soon as they stepped in, the text says, remember, it was Joshua 3 and 4, that the river stopped, ceased flowing, and was he- dammed up in a heat in dam until all of Israel crossed over. And then when they crossed over, it came back to flood stage. So they took steps of faith into the promises. We encouraged each other. They also acted in unity, valuing their brothers and sisters. When they came into the land, those that already had victory came with those that had not got victory. And they helped them accomplish and take the land of their inheritance. And there's something that the Lord's been speaking to the broader body right now of the value and the importance of unity. This Converge Conference that that, uh, Michael spoke of, um, I'll be one of the speakers at it, but there's gonna be like 20 area pastors releasing because we believe the value of unity that if there's unity in this city, God will command a blessing. And there was a word when I was at Bethel Church uh, a couple years ago that said, what is this? This was Havilah-Cunnington. All of Colorado will be saved. I see a radical unity movement taking place in the state. And when God's people come together in unity, um, there will be a move of God in the region and the fire of his presence. And all of Colorado shall be saved. That was the word. She said it three times. I was one of several from Colorado, from different churches, standing in the room when that word was released. So this issue of unity is important And it doesn't matter what their inheritance is, we're called to stand alongside them. The next principle that we've seen is this, and this was Joshua chapter two, where they visited, they sent in spies. Before they sent in 12 spies, 10 came back with negative report, and as a result, they wandered in the wilderness and died off. But two, Joshua and Caleb were faithful. And said, our God is able, do not disobey the Lord. So they sent two more spies into Jericho to spy out the land. And even though they had to be lowered out from a prostitute's house where they were hid on the roof and under straw, they said, we got this, our God has it. We've seen they're trembling, they're afraid, and God will give us the land. And so we see that um, we have to revisit places of past failure to repent And turn with a new mindset. This is what repentance, metanoia means. It means to look at one way that you concluded and gave yourself to and turn it completely around and give yourself to something new. So we declared at that particular message that our past failures, our past sin, our past unbelief, our past brokenness, we're revisiting it in this hour. And God is reversing that through our repentance and we're now seeing a mindset, and the grace of God for victory. And I thought I'm to declare that, that if any, um, I heard a quote recently that said this, the church has about been pruned back to the point of fruitfulness. If you know about vines, you prune them back to the last bud, and that becomes the, the new sprout in the spring for the new. And I thought it was interesting, the pruning of the church started... In uh, February of twenty, um, two 2020, when the Chiefs took the Super Bowl against San Francisco, and they are replaying the same teams today, and I'm wondering if there's a prophetic picture about the end of a four-year pruning process where the church has actually learned to get rid of leafy growth and actually trust the Lord, independence, rather than run in fear. I'm not predicting who's gonna win, I have no idea. And I don't know that it, you know, but I'm just noticing it's like four years, same teams. I see a lot of red in the room, so it's a San Francisco red and Terry had a Kansas City red, so bless both teams, no injuries today, but I just, I'm just wondering. But do you hear this? God right now, and there's grace for this, there's a couple months left of this pruning process. He's inviting you to revisit the past and where you've attached unbelief, disappointment, and failure. That is being broken. There is grace to break that, to come into the new and to leave the old behind in the desert and come in faith into the new promised land. Um, we also saw that they stopped in Gilgal and Shechem. I'm gonna talk about those today so I'll come back to it hint it's a place of renewing the covenant um they also yielded to the commander of the Lord's army this was in Joshua 5 12 and 13 to 15 if you remember um Joshua was looking at the city seeing this giant wall wall around it feet thick I showed pictures of it uh when we preached on this text multiple layers and what they did is they walked around um This, of course, with the presence. And as they were, as he was looking, saying, Lord, how do I get this? This man with a drawn sword shows up. And Joshua says, Are you for us or are you for them? And the response was, Neither. But as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. Translation Joshua, will you get on my side and let me fight the battles? Or are you going to try to do this in your own effort? And Joshua wisely took off his shoes and bowed down before the Lord and uh, got the strategy of marching the presence around the city and what it would take to, to walk in victory. And as long as Joshua and the people listened to the commander, he took it. So we learned, we've made this commitment as a church Jesus is our commander, he's Lord. I'm sorry, I'm just rambling through this, but I want to tie this together because we're about finished. Also, um, What was interesting about the praise, when they marched, on the seventh day they shouted and they blew the ram's horn, the shofarim, that's the year of the Jubilee horns. And it was they shouted praise and they shouted the war cry of the Lord. And I tell you, high praise causes gods to arise and his enemies to be scattered. And there's something about the rebuilding of the altar of worship and praise. And when the people of God declare the greatness of God at his command, The enemy is defeated. And so we saw that in Joshua chapter six. We also saw them give the first fruits of their conquest to the Lord. Josh Jericho being the first fruits. Just a hint there. The success in their battle was the supernatural hand of God. Remember it railed hailstones stones down on people. They routed enemies. They marched all night. 5,000 feet up, defeated I with a surprise, you know. Or uh, was it the Gibeah? Who did they defeat? They marched up through the night. That was the chapter 10 and 12. That was the whole southern, uh, you know, compilation of tribes that had marshaled in Gibeah uh, to come against Israel. And they marched with a surprise attack. And the Lord's supernatural grace even caused the sun to stand still until the battle was won. Same thing happens in the north in Hatzor. So, um, and then the tribes received an inheritance that the Lord assigned to them. And they took the inheritance given to them. And I just wanna declare to you as individuals, as clans, in the tribe of the Joshua Company of Bridgeway, that you have an inheritance the Lord has assigned to you And as brothers and sisters, we honor what Christ has given to you and the gift and grace that's in you. And the commitment of leadership like Joshua is to hear the Lord, what the Lord has assigned, and to partner with you to take the land of your inheritance and walk into the fullness of what Christ has for you. That's the picture of taking the land. They all took it together. And then they said, now that it's mostly conquered... You do the mopping up operations, i.e., do the heart work, get cleansed, go to your inner healing sessions, deal with those remaining idols in your heart. We talked about this last week. Hmm. And we learned that they will continue in their inheritance as they drive out their enemies. So, what I want to do today is I actually want to get lessons from five cities. Uh, two of them, actually, um, yeah, two of them, Israel, all of Israel gathered at these cities, and three were significant for all of Israel. Now, they listed, if you read Joshua, they listed hundreds of cities for, like, the different tribes. But five of them stood out to me as really significant for all of Israel. So the first one's this. Um, it's, it's a place called, by the way, cities are where we dwell. It's the place we rear family. It's the place we find shelter. And it's the place that we do the Lord's work and we become fruitful. And so the first city named multiple times is Gilgal. And if you remember the name Gilgal, it first appeared in in chapter five where they crossed through the Jordan and they set up camp at Gilgal where they renewed the covenant of circumcision with the Lord and said, we are the covenant people and in addition, what they did is they um, renewed the Passover. This is, um, this is this place where they said, we will serve the Lord and do what he has said. And, it's, and what happens, Gilgal means rolled away. They rolled away the reproach of Egypt. And every time they fought a battle, Jericho, back to Gilgal. Ai, back to Gilgal. The Gibeonites and that whole southern, back to Gilgal. Shechem, where they did the Mount Gerizim blessing back to Gilgal, the northern tribes back to Gilgal. Here's the point. What's Gilgal significant of? Gilgal, they renewed the Passover. Who's the Passover lamb? Jesus. The blood of Jesus over the doorpost causes the angel of death to pass over your household, and you are saved from the plagues of Egypt, the world system, the judgments. You're no longer under wrath and you come into the promises. The place of immunity is at the cross. And so the church comes back when it fights its battles to the place of the cross. They renew themselves at the foot of the cross, the blood of Christ. And in that place, all of the reproach, all of the past, forgiveness, the mercy of God, everything we need to be cleansed and made whole is refreshed and renewed in us. So the first principle I wanna say is this. Return to Gilgal, the foot of the cross, where remember God's past faithfulness and his sacrifice to save us, and find spiritual renewal and refreshment in that place. So if you want to occupy the territory God has, the cross of Christ is still your place of victory. All of the battles, they've returned there, and from there they fought their battles. You, You see the picture. Colossians chapters 1 and 2 have these really great things about the cross of Christ. In chapter 2, it says, it's talking about the law, but it says, every power and principality and all that was opposed to, the, to, the, to God, to Christ, was nailed to the cross. It's defeated on the cross. Through the cross, all of the situations you need have been defeated. All of the victory that you need to accomplish is through the blood of Christ. The bread of life. We've been having communion, my wife and I, throughout the fast time that we just did because it's the cross. And we can't forget that. In a charismatic environment, healing. Why do we believe in healing? By his stripes we are healed. That's in Matthew 8, verse 17, that quotes Isaiah 53. I think it's verse 6, somewhere like that that he took up and bore our infirmities, our sickness, and our pains. And in the context when he quotes that is all these healings and deliverances. And Matthew says this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said by his stripes, speaking of his wounds on the cross, we are healed. And I take that healing as comprehensive, saved, healed, and delivered on the cross. It's our foundation for victory. So Lord, I thank you that you've given us the cross of Christ. And I thank you for Gilgal, a little picture here in Joshua that reminds us that Christ is our victory. And we just resolve in the battles we face that we will bring the cross of Christ. We bring the cross of Christ to those watching online, to everyone here, all our families, all our needs, and we declare that the blood of Christ is sufficient. The blood of Christ is sufficient. The body that was broken for us is our healing. Lord, we thank you. And we resolve to just remember, okay, back to the cross. Back to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The second principle is to return to Shechem. The next city is Shechem. It was in Joshua chapter 8. And they renewed, They gave the covenant. They had been commanded by Moses from the Lord that when you enter into the land, you're to go to this Shechem, Mount Gerizim, and Mount Ebal. And all of the curses of the law, Deuteronomy 28, 29, if you've read them, shall be read from the Mount of Cursing, Mount Ebal, and all of the blessings from Mount Gerizim. If you obey the Lord, and they, what they did is they literally read that. Half the tribes on one side, half on the other side, And they read the blessings and cursings and they covenanted, we will follow the Lord. So Shechem is a place of covenant. And here's the principle. Return to Shechem, the place of covenant commitment to Christ where you receive blessings as you choose to remain faithful and you're empowered, I would just say, by the grace of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit to walk in that faithfulness. So... When you return to Shechem, you're receiving and remembering all the promises of God. And it says in the New Testament, they're all yes and amen in Christ. It's that place of covenant. Lord, it's no longer my life that I live, but it's, it's you that I follow. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I will remain faithful by the grace of the Lord Jesus, the operative power of the Lord through faith, by means of the Holy Spirit, and I will walk in that and receive all of the blessings because they're all yes and amen in Christ. Yeah. And again, they made that covenant and in the latter chapters. I, I'm getting to it. I'll still read scripture. 18 verse one says this. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at, oops, that's Shiloh. That's not Shechem. Um, hold on. Where's Shechem listed? I didn't mark it in my book here. It talks about renewing the covenant in 23 and 24 and they gather again at Shechem to renew the covenant. Father, I thank you that we're a people of the covenant. Yes. And I thank you that we remember that you covenanted with us for while we were yet sinners, you died for us and we said yes to your covenant. We accepted that cup of salvation and we said Yes the offer of the marriage supper of the Lamb, the third cup cup of the Passover meal, we took that and said yes at the Lord's Supper and we are in covenant with you. And we now ask you for grace for all of the blessings that belong to us in Jesus' name. By the way, um, Shechem is the valley of decision where we resolve to follow God. It's here that the Lord's blessing and the burden of following the Lord's way. The, The word shechem means shoulder. The noun shechem means shoulder. And one's shoulder was considered one's place of burdens, whether physical or metaphorical. And the verb form shechem means to rise early, to make an early start, to voluntarily shoulder one's work duties and concerns and assignments and interests of the day. This seems to suggest that the person's burden was a voluntary thing in dedication to carrying out the Lord's work. So Lord, by the way, this idea of shoulder, here's what Isaiah says, that Eliakim, who was King Hezekiah's chief housekeeper, would become a father to the house of Judah by saying the key to the house of David would be upon his shoulders. It's Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. In the same tone Isaiah said about the Messiah in Isaiah 9, 6, the government will rest on his shoulders. So Lord, I thank you that the man who is the key to the house of David, Jesus Christ, of whom the Messiah, whose government rests on his shoulders, you are our burden carrier, and as we come into covenant with you, we thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and we take that upon ourselves and say you will shoulder our concerns of the day, the interests and passions of our heart, the assignments that you have, and we rest in your completed work because you shoulder the burdens. You see the picture of check Not only is it covenant where we surrender, but when you do that, God says, I got this. I got it. It's mine. Will you let me carry your burden? And the picture of the yoke is the older oxen would have a younger oxen in training yoked to it and the older ox would do the heavy carrying and the other one just dragged along. So, Lord, I thank you that as I'm yoked to you, that you're actually pulling the weight and shouldering the burden of my assignments. And I refuse to do it in my own effort, but I trust you to shoulder the work effort that you're asking me to accomplish. So, Lord, I'm gonna return to Shechem. And I'm gonna remember at that place, that you're shouldering my burden. Like isn't that powerful to just think we have cities that are given as pictures for us to reside and dwell. A city is a place you dwell. So Lord, we will dwell in Gilgal and we will dwell in Shechem. Now there's some others and I'll I'll read 18 verse one. Of Joshua, now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together in Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the meeting, meaning that's the place of the ark and the presence in that place. And the land was subdued, but there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes who did not receive their inheritance. I'm just kind of finishing the verse. The issue is Shiloh is the place of the Lord's presence. It's the place where the ark rested with the mercy seat and the cherubim, which is symbolic of the garden where man walked with God and communed with him. The mercy seat, sitting there face to face, talking with the Lord in the Holy of Holies, is Shechem. And they gather, excuse me, is Shiloh. And they gather in Shiloh. I've had the privilege of being there and standing on the site where Shiloh was. And about five members of our, by the way, the ark rested there for 369 years. And we're standing on the archaeological site and we're talking about the Lord's presence and five of my team fall out in the spirit. And we had to like sort of help them to the bus like two hours later because like we couldn't move. I I don't know how there's a residual presence, but here's the place Shiloh became the place of Israel until the time of the temple that Solomon built. The ark left when Israel fell into apostasy and went to the land of the Philistines, interestingly, to Ekron, where Dan had abandoned. And their God, who's the God of tumors, actually, they all got tumors, and they had to send this, you know, Israel's God back because Dagon kept falling down before the ark. And they said, it's God of Israel, we can't have it, it's destroying our God. So they send him back on an ark and it sits in a place called kiriath Jearim, which means the city of trees. Until David says, I must have that ark. I must bring it back to Jerusalem, my house. So Lord, we are a people that will remember Shiloh, the place of the presence. And we will make it the place that we gather because in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, our enemies are defeated. In your presence, we are strengthened in all things. In your presence, we have face-to-face intimacy and we hear your presence. We hear your voice and we hear your direction. So Shiloh is an important city for us to stay. So, I, 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 And by the way, it says about this, In Genesis 49, I want you to hear the whole text in Genesis where Jacob prophesied about this city and about what was gonna happen here because the city is actually a person and his name's Jesus. So let me find Genesis 49, verse nine and 10. They're gonna probably get it up before I do so it may show up on the screen before I get my Bible there. Here it is, nine and 10. Judah, I'll just give you context. You are he whom your brothers shall praise. The name Judah means praise. By the way, we did not announce. Um, Joel and, and uh, Veronica Headland had their son. His name is Judah, seven pounds, nine ounces. And uh, we'll show you a picture at the end. We got a picture, um, unless he comes up now. Um, no. If he pops up, that little baby that you see, that's Judah. There he is. Oh, no, that's not. You fooled me. Thanks, Craig. All right, back. I'm getting distracted. Judah, on whom your brothers praise, your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Victory. Your father's children shall bow down before you. You'll be the leader of the tribes. Judah is a lion's whelp. By the way, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. Revelation 5.5. 5. From, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down and lies down like a lion. as a lion who will rise him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his donkey which Jesus wrote in Jerusalem, to the vine and his donkey, the colt, to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Like, do you, do you see who Shiloh is? It's Jesus. Oh, there's Judah. Hi, Judah. <laughs> thank you for putting that up. They are excited. They just wanted to say thank you to all of you for your prayers, your support, and they'll be here in a couple weeks to introduce him to you. So there's that little cutie pie. Oh, all right. Hmm. By the way, the word Shiloh is also related to Shalom. Shalom. When you look at some of the roots of this, the word shalom means the place of peace and well-being in the presence of God. It's also related to shelah, which means to pause and rest in intimacy in the Lord's presence. It's a place of safety, rest, and prosperity in the presence of the Lord. So what's happening with shiloh is this. Christ is our shiloh. And I would just say this. When you're in crisis, when you need a decision to be made, as life unfolds, you run to the place of Shalom or Shiloh and Selah in the intimacy of Christ, who is the lion's whelp, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will bring victory and direction for you. Wow, that's a third city that's like prophesied about Christ. He is our covenant, He is the one that rolls away our sin and our reproach and he is our presence. And the shalom of heaven, through him we have found peace. Let the the winds of Shiloh blow. Let you rest in the paws of the lion and may his presence unfold and be everything you need in the days ahead. By the way, Gwen and I named our house the winds of Shiloh. Shiloh. At the time, we thought it was Shiloh until I got to Israel and heard, no, they pronounce it Shiloh. So I'm pronouncing it Shiloh, which is that, how they would pronounce it there. How about your house? Can the winds blow in your house? We had a prophetic word today about the Lord opening all the vents in your house and turning on the circulation. What if that's about letting his presence The winds of Shiloh blow through your household and eradicate everything that is opposed to him. I think there's grace for that today. There's two more cities we gotta read about. You guys with me? You okay? Are you breathing? We're all right? Um, Chapter 20, my Bible says the cities of refuge. Boy, that's interesting. Denver happens to be a city of refuge at the moment. sanctuary city, Um, I'll read a couple verses. The Lord also spoke, this is 20 verse 1, to Joshua saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Let me give you context. In that culture, it's very Middle Eastern, very Middle Eastern. If you killed someone, the family appointed an avenger to kill you. But here, unintentionally, if you accidentally kill someone, you could flee to a city of refuge and you'll read the things where they fled to the altar and laid hold of the hand, You know, the horns of the altar. Actually, you can't do it because it's, it's wide enough that it would be hard. I guess it's, it's usually about six feet. I don't know if that's my wingspan or not. But um, it's longer than that. How many cubits? I I forget it. I don't want to get down the tabernacle route. I I think it's more cubits than six feet, so um, yeah. But the idea is you can go to the Lord who is your refuge in times of trouble. Does that sound like Psalm 90, does it sound like some psalms and some things that the Lord is our refuge? The idea is the Lord is the one who executes justice and he is intending to give us a place to run where there might be right judgment and so here's the key about this city. I I, I read some background. Um, A city of refuge was built to accommodate anyone accused of merger who did so unintentionally And there were six cities, three on the east, three in the west, all a day's journey so anyone could get there quickly. And the concept is this. By the way, interestingly, this idea of justice from the Lord and protection until there's an actual judgment is actually placed on the hearts of individuals across the planet. We all kind of understand that's needed. In fact, it's interesting Before Westerners arrived on the large island of Hawaii, the indigenous people set up a city of refuge called, oh, and I can't pronounce it, Pua'ohanawa, where an islander could flee if she broke a law. He or she broke a law that carried the death penalty. There, the high priest could purify the refugees of any sin and later set the person free to begin a new life. Interestingly, the priests bore a thing on their turban which, and they had the, the things, the Urm and Thummon, to discern the judgments of the Lord. And the idea at these, these cities, um, I'd have to read numbers, but the idea was this. It says here, verse six, and he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. So the person was released when the judgment was not guilty or secondly, when the high priest died. Who's the high priest that died on behalf of all of us to release us from judgment? Like Jesus is the high priest. So Jesus is our refuge, he is our sanctuary city. So Lord, I pray for all these refugees from Venezuela, the 38, 40,000 that are here in our city Lord, I know we have to feed them first. We have to love on them. We have to meet their basic needs. But I pray that the high priest, Jesus, will also lead them to a sanctuary in you. That they might meet you as we meet their needs as believers. And I thank you for all of us here that the judgment has been pronounced by Jesus Christ, not guilty. I paid for it on the cross. And you are our refuge, Jesus, that we can flee to to find help in our time of need. Isn't this powerful? Like the names of cities actually like apply to Jesus. So Jesus is a city of refuge for all those who have committed something worthy of death. By the way, the scripture says all have sinned and have fallen short and are worthy of death. But Jesus is our refuge. Do you run there when you're in trouble? Do you grab a hold of the, the altar, by the way, is the, alt, the brazen altar where the sacrifice for sin was made. So when you grab the horns of the altar, Jesus, you paid the price for my sin. I am worthy of death, but I run to you, my sanctuary. I want to give you, I think I wrote some scriptures Hebrews 2.17, speaking of Christ our high priest, for this reason he must be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews 4.14-16, 4, to 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly... Um, Hold to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So Lord, we thank you that you are our city of refuge and we run to you, we ask you to set us free. Interestingly, historically in the Jewish writings it says that the people of God went out once a year and made fresh road signs clearing the rocks off the path so everyone could quickly get to a city of refuge. The Bible's the road sign and Christ is waiting in that city to declare not guilty and he's already died for you. One last city, you ready? And then we'll close this up. It's found in Joshua chapter 21. I skipped reading most of 20. You can read where the cities are. There were three on the east, three in the west. Now we've got the cities of the Levites. Um, My principle is this, under this one. Make the Lord your inheritance. Let's just read a little bit about it. Um, Joshua 21, one to three. And the heads of the fathers of the Levites came to Eliezer, the priest, to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers of the houses of the tribes, of the children of Israel. They spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, the Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. They were actually not given lands And the the text in the Old Testament, Numbers, Leviticus, Exodus, says that their inheritance is the Lord. The the Lord is their portion. And so the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their own inheritance at the command of the Lord these cities and common lands. Uh, And then it lists by lot, you know, where each of the clans of the Levites went. It's a fairly long chapter. And there's 48 cities with their common lands. Each one of these cities had common lands surrounding it with these cities. And the idea here is this. The final people to get their inheritance were the Levites, which were the priests that served before the Lord in the temple. And the Lord said, I am your inheritance. I am your portion. And the tithes of the people that came in to support the Lord's work, it's from the tithes that the Levites actually lived. Now, I realize not all of us are in full-time ministry. Those of us that are employed at the church, we're like, I guess, employed Levites. But, um, and we live off of that. Even though I tithe, I live off the tithes that come in. But all of you are Levites. Why? Because all of you are priests of the Lord. Amen. The New Testament says that, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that we are priests of the living God. Jesus died for that to make all of us a priest. So all of you, your inheritance is the Lord himself. So I'm pointing a picture in the cities of Levites is this. You can look to the world system to give you land and territory and provision. Or you can look to the Lord and the Lord himself will provide for you a portion spiritually and physically to take care of you. Do you as Levites believe that? These guys had the hard road because they actually had to trust that the people would be kind enough to give them out of their own inheritance a portion and that God himself would take care of them. So Lord, I thank you that we're Levites. Um, they had no earthly inheritance but a spiritual one. And um, I love this verse. The Lord says this in Ezekiel forty-four forty-eight. And with regards to inheritance for Levites, I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession, Israel, for I am their possession. Here is Psalm 119, verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep the words, your words. Here's Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. And then Isaiah 61, you will be called priests of the Lord. This is uh, verse six. Uh, And you will be spoken of as ministers of God and you will eat the wealth of the nations and in their riches you will boast. Do you see the picture? We're the Levites in modern things. So the application is, have you made the Lord your inheritance? So here's how I'm gonna close this. Is... um, I'm just going to sort of summarize where we are. By the way, the Levites, I saw some principles here with regards to the Levites. I want to just read these four quickly. It's um, this, that um, the Levites have no earthly inheritance but a spiritual one in Christ. Secondly, they serve as priests for the benefit of all the people. By the way, they were outside the cities that the tribes dwelt in so that both foreigner and the people of God could get access to the priests. Do you realize the Lord has sowed you into the lands of the world to be priests and kings? Where the people of the world can find a priest that mediates God to them. That's the role of a priest. Some of you are the only priest that's available in the school that you work at. Or in the job that you serve you are sowed as priest into the land without an inheritance because you're in the world but not of the world, and you are meant to release the things of Jesus and his gospel to the people around you. So here's what we've covered by summary today. We're to return to Gilgal, the foot of the cross. We are to return to Shechem, the place of your covenant commitment, where you will receive all of the blessings in scripture, in Christ. You are to rest in the presence of the lion of the tribe of Judah at Shiloh. You are to return to Christ as your refuge. That's Joshua 20. And you are to resolve to make the Lord your inheritance. Let's stand. Let me pray for you. It's awfully quiet. I know it's a little chilly. I think it's We've been having trouble with our program. It's been programmed at 69. I realize in the winter it should be a little warmer, but here we are, so apologize. Um, I assume it's quiet because there's been a lot here. Or are we okay? We're breathing? We're, like, we're good? Okay. I have this zeal in my heart that the enemies that come against you will be defeated. And your heart will come like this completely clean that the residual issues will be dealt with and I know this Gilgal the cross which is Christ is your victory in your battles I know this that the covenant he cut with you that you said yes to even though you may not be faithful he is faithful I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's his return. That's Philippians 1.6, he's got it. I am confident that the shiloh, the winds of his presence shall surround your home and your heart as you open that to them blowing. And may you actually get snockered in the presence <laughs> like the team did in Israel where you have to be carried to the bus So, Lord, we just release your presence into our households. We open the vents that close off the winds of the Holy Spirit and the winds of Shiloh. And we say, blow, Spirit, blow. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our refuge. Lord, would you come? We run to you. You are our strong tower. You are our rock. You are that place that we find sanctuary And it says there, no harm shall befall those that dwell under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. Though a thousand fall at your right side or your left side, no harm shall befall you. So, Lord, we just release and declare that. And, Lord, we thank you. um, What's the last city? Uh, For the, the Levites that you are our inheritance. And we just resolve. That's us. We say today, you're our inheritance. So, Lord, we just... Unplug a little bit from, our, is it IRAs or 401ks? Whatever we look to or we unplug from our, our media, our entertainment, those things that medicate us, our addictions, we just unplug from all those false idols. We will not be like Dan. No, no offense to any Dan's around. Um, but we thank you, Lord, that you're our inheritance and we resolve to say Yes. So, Father, I just pray, as we're just hearing these words today, that this would saturate our hearts, that it would go not only to our minds, but into our spirit, man, and that we would be those people that inherit the land and dispossess our enemies. I love that term. Joshua 1 says, Every place you step your foot shall be yours. Rosh, rise up, O Lord, and dispossess our enemies. Because Jesus Christ is the commander. May it be in your household, in your family, your children, and your children's children. Amen. All right, let's give the Lord a hand.